0: Welcome to Thought Revolution. This is a show for leaders like you who want to learn how to lead and manage in a way that expands your impact and influence. My name is Chris Nebro and I am the founder of Impact Consultancy and I'm excited to share with you my biggest aha moments and thought-provoking concepts that are designed to free up your time, your team's capacity, and your ability to create impact in the world. Let's go. Hey, we're doing episode 46, we've almost made it through a whole year of the podcast and today I want to talk about engagement and change because I think those two things come up a lot and um, I'm offering like a pretty cool tutorial today around like how would you begin to assess your team's engagement. Um, or readiness for change. But also I have a cool tool that gets attached to it as well. So always try to put something in the hands of leaders who are out there doing something really cool so that they can begin to um, get a pulse around what's happening. But also the tool is great because I'm just a big believer in visualizing everything, like make it visual so you can begin to see. And um, the reason we want to see stuff is because we can start to see patterns. And when we see patterns, it gives us like uh, just a little bit more insight Um, that we're we're visual beings. I think like I think 70% or something like that of all of the, the the neural pathways in our brain. And I don't really understand the science behind it. Is But if you thought about it like highways, like the majority, the four lanes would be made up of like visual like lanes. And then like there'd be one lane for, you know, auditory and one lane for kinesthetic or something like that. Maybe it's smell. I can't remember. I'm not like... I am not into the science. I just like know what I remember, and I, um, I know that we're massively visual in terms of our ability to just think. So let's just talk engagement for a second, and I'm going to uh, talk about um, two curves. I'm going to explain them, and you're going to be able to see them if you want to in my downloads. But the first one I want to talk about is um, people's ability to deal with change. And so one of the things that a lot of folks are familiar with, but I'm going to explain it anyways, is called the innovation adoption curve and what it was is really just a uh, some um some research done on the vast majority of folks in um relationship to their ability to to take on new changes and uh Based on the research, what was found, and this is really helpful, especially it was found in the field of disruptive technology, like as people are going to be adopting brand new cell phones, for example, or using um, computers, but we can also think about this inside your organization. So as people are going to be adopting um, changes to organizational structure or brand new software or, or finally maybe getting on board with using Excel, right? Um, this is what we found. And the way it looks is imagine a bell curve. And at the very front of the bell curve at the start, um, what the researchers found is that about two and a half percent, so about, you know, barely three percent are what we'd call innovators. And these are people that um, they they are already out there just trying new things. They're probably the entrepreneurs inside of your organization. They're um, they're out there like. Testing new processes, bringing in um, new best practices. They're going to trainings. They're interested in trying to make things better, right? These are the innovators. They're they're not afraid to take risks. They're going to try some stuff. Maybe you have this person on your team. Maybe you don't, because they're very small percent of the population in terms of like adopting like let's say a big technology. They would be the ones that are lining up for um, the iPhones. Before they come out and they're the ones that are already like invested in cryptocurrency and blah, blah, blah. Right. Like that. They're just believing in the next big thing. The next group, which is about 14%, is early adopters. So if you think about th- th- these two groups together, we're talking about like 15 or 16%. So in a group of like 20, you know, you're know, you talking about like one to two people. Just, just keep that in mind, how small this group is. And early adopters are the people who um, they see something and they're just like their name says, like they're all over it. Like they want to be part of the change. They might not initiate the change. They might not be the ideators, the innovators. They might not be the ones who are coming up with like – six different ideas to do different things. But if they hear about a best practice, they're all over it and they'll be the ones to try. So if you're going to be rolling out a change, these are the ones that are, um, the what you don't have to worry about, like these are the ones that are going to definitely be on board. They're um, going to be up for maybe helping you think about the change. These are your early adopters. And then we have the majority. This makes up about like 70% of the population. And if you think about like, again, your group of 20, you've got maybe like, one to two that, that are your early adopters and innovators, 70%, so the vast majority now, are going to be um, in this category, and they're kind of split in two. And so if you think about it, like some of this majority – and they're almost split down the middle – some of this majority is your early majority. And this is the group that's going to go along with change um, once they see that there's evidence that it's going to um, be workable. So they're not opposed to change, but they're not going to initiate it. They're they're not creating the change like the innovators. They're not the first ones to sign up for it. But once they see that it's going to benefit them, once they see that it's not going to harm them, once they've got some evidence um, that you know, it's something that would be good for them... They're on board. So they're gonna get going. So now you figure you've got about 35% that are your early majority plus your early adopters. So now you've you've really got somewhere in there, you know, about 35, 40. You got about half of your group, you know, a little bit more than half that are already like early adopting a majority. But then you've got this other half of the majority that's called the late majority. And this late majority, this is the group that um needs much more convincing. Like they will go along with it, but they're going to they're going to kick and scream a little bit. Um this is you know who they are, right? This is that group that's going to need more than evidence. They're going to need some hand holding. Um they might think in concept, oh that, man, that makes so much sense. Like I just every workshop I have someone who's like this because I do a lot of change workshops, whether it's process change um, or culture change. And they're they're like, oh, yes, yes, we want this future that we've been talking about. Yes, yes, it would make a huge difference for me. And then like when it comes to rubber meets the road, like that's the part where they have a hard time with it. Uh, I I can't do this. Uh, This won't work. It's never been done this way. See, I told you this wouldn't work like that. That's who they are, right? Um, they'll get there. They just need much more hand-holding. They just need much more coaching. Um, They just need much more um, support to be able to really go along with it. But they're still within your realm of possibility. And then there's this last group, the very end of your bell curve. And this is making up maybe about another 15%, 16% and these are our laggards. So, from an innovation um, adoption perspective, these are the folks who do not want to come along. Who? These are the folks who. Let um, I me mean, think about it. Like, there's people who who are you know, tweeting out about this new iPhone, then people who are lining up to get the new iPhone, then the early adopters who are going to get it right away, then the early majority who are like, ooh, that looks cool, I'll get that for Christmas, you know? And then the late majority that's like, nah, I don't know, mine works just fine, and then eventually, like, their phone craps out, so then they decide to get the new one. The laggards are the ones who still have the flip phones. You know what I mean? Like, they haven't changed that. They they love the flip phone because it does what it needs to. It calls somebody, and it's got, like, all the information, and, and gosh... Grab it. they can't put the SIM card out of the old, you know, flip phone and the new flip phone, and they just, its too much going on. And you know, these are the folks who just, um, they, the change doesn't come readily acceptable for them because um, things are workable for them. They, the way that they've constructed their life or their worldview, they don't need all the extra stuff. Um, they might find once they get there that they like it, but they're not going to get there right away because they don't see the need for it, Okay. That's our innovation curve. That's our adoption curve. We've got innovators, early adopters. We've got this early majority who can be swung over if they can see the evidence. We've got the late majority who will get there, but they just need much more hand-holding and then the laggards who probably aren't going to come along. Okay? This is really important because you got to understand we're going we're to lay over one more thing. I'm going to talk about the engagement continuum now. These two things are important, but the reason I'm talking about that is because it's going to play itself out when we talk about change. So if you think about that same curve and I put in different language, we can almost talk about just people's level of engagement. Now, um, adoption is about adopting change. So that means that some kind of change is actually happening. Engagement is a little bit different. Engagement is really more about like your commitment um, and enthusiasm to your work. But it's more than that. So the way I am going to define engagement here is, is two pieces. You have a high, high engagement means you have a high passion for your work and then high engagement also means that you have a high commitment to the organization. So in that, I'm going to break down, they, they've kind of almost fallen in the same lines. I talked about like you might have innovators and early adopters. Well, we find that the, almost the same percentage, so 16% or so are what we would call actively engaged and actively engaged are people who they love what they do they have a passion for i love teaching i love working with people i love managing and helping people i love coaching people whatever that is um i love giving blood draws i i really i don't but uh, you know what you know what i mean like they love what they do they have context for it you know they 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 bring energy to it they're, and they're psychologically committed to their organization. In other words, they have a passion for the mission. They believe in the organization that they work for because it's got a strong vision, strong mission, it's doing great things in the community, um, and they feel like you know the, the organization is treating them right. So uh, actively engaged are people who have high passion and high commitment. Okay, Then there are people who we would call engaged. And they fall really to me in like your early majority. This makes up about 20% of any group. so if, Again, you think about it. If you got a group of, you know, about 10, let's just make it really simple, about 16% or maybe one to two people are going to be actively engaged. Then there's going to be another 20% that are engaged. This is on average, by the way, okay? So that means another couple people are engaged. And what I mean by engaged is they still have a passion for their work. They tend to love what they do. Um... And they're, they're psychologically committed to the organization and they're, they're happy with it. I wouldn't say that they have passion for the organization, but you know they're happy. They're happy with the way the organization is treating them. They're happy with the contribution that their organization makes to the community and they are passionate about what they do, okay? These are your engaged employees. And I like to break out that distinction between actively engaged and engaged because I really do think that we kind of toggle between those two. This next category is almost like your late majority and these are your disengaged folks and here's how i start to to think about disengaged because i i think about it a lot more loosely because it helps me really start to um work folks a little bit better and and what the research shows is that maybe about 50 percent of your group is actually disengaged by this definition and these are folks who like their work you know they they don't have a passion for it but they like it i mean they're not complaining Um, they don't love it. They don't want to do it seven days a week, but they like it, you know? Um, but their commitment to the organization is meh. Like they, they're somewhere between like, I'm displeased with the org or, you know, you know, I I like what I do and I could do it here or I could do it there. And that's really what the disengagement is is that they they like their work, but I could do it here or I can do it there. And I think that's really important to understand. There's this mix between passion for work and commitment to org because you want to begin to draw those distinctions and we'll talk about them. You're probably starting to draw the connections now. Like you could imagine that someone has a high passion for what they do, but feel like they don't really have a strong commitment to the organization. Um, you know, they feel like you know, I could do this anywhere. And I think that that's a rarity to find. That's why I draw this distinction. You usually find people who have high passion for what they do. They are looking for organizations that um, mirror their level of passion. So when the organization doesn't, they either bounce really quick or they start to lose some of the passion for their work. They stay too long, right? And then they lose their commitment to the organization and there's a variety of reasons about why that happens. So just calling that out, a large amount of people in my mind are disengaged. They like what they do. They're still productive. You know, they, 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 they do what they need to do. They, if you ask them, like, yeah, I like what I do. But they're, they feel like they could actually do it anywhere. Um, and they feel, or they feel like they're unhappy with where they're at. And I think that's really important. That distinction about either being unhappy or I could do this anywhere. Like that's really important to understand because that's the place where you want to begin to grow people's love for your organization. And it really, if you, if you really think about it and you know, I, I think a lot of my audience are managers, people don't leave organizations, they leave managers. So this is really about building their commitment with you. Now, the last group here, again, I talked about laggards in our adoption curve for change that makes about 1-6, 16%. Here, I'm going to talk about actively disengaged. And this makes almost the same amount of people, about 13% on average. These are folks who have probably lost passion for their work. They don't really care if they do it or not. Um, You know, they might like it still, but, you know, the passion's kind of gone. And they definitely do not have any kind of commitment um, to the organization, they are not happy with the organization. In fact, they let other people know they are not happy with the organization. Right? These are your detractors. They are going to resist change. They are going to resist um, what the organ- the leadership's direction. They're just unhappy and they're very vocal about it. And this almost this doesn't necessarily mean that they are what people would call toxic. There is a probably a percentage inside of this group who become toxic. The toxic folks are the ones who are now creating harm for others, and you're going to have to really think about that. They might be undermining things. They might be doing some things that are actually unethical. Um, whereas somewhere between you're disengaged and you're actively disengaged, you've got people who are critical potentially. Um, maybe they are um, gossiping, which is starting to move towards unethical, and you know. So that's. So just beginning to get an awareness of that. So I really like people to understand these two things. And again, if you've got the visual, it's really powerful because I'm going to explain how to use it. Understanding that there is a curve for how people sit with dealing with change, and there is a curve or a you know something a, a continuum that that sits you know really well underneath this curve that shows you know where people lie in terms of their level of engagement. And I think this is important because. Um, what this does for you, I'll talk about how to like use it to assess your team, but what this does for you is it begins to give you an idea of, you know what, on every team, there's going to be folks that do struggle a little bit. Um, and you know what, let me think about who I'm hiring. Am I hiring somebody who's coming in who's already got high passion for the work? Or am I not looking for that? I just need someone who can get the job done. And that's fine. Just be really clear that as a manager, your job is to drive culture. And so are you thinking well about bringing somebody in who doesn't have high passion, but you know might be... Um, might be high energy, might bring good energy and might actually enjoy at least what they're doing. Um, And can you get them to feel committed to the team and to the organization? So um, I just think that like understanding whether or not they've got passion for the work and a commitment to the kind of mission that your organization is bringing is really important. And then it becomes your job to begin to really grow um, their passion and um, you know, really foster that and then grow their commitment to your org. That's on you, but hiring is you know really looking for that, um, which I think is really important. So then how do you use this? What I usually do is I have managers, if there's a change, so again, download this, but what it looks like is there's this bell curve that sits that I just described and underneath them, underneath this bell curve, I have the managers um, kind of list out, if you will, every single person on that team. And so if you have to break that out into groups, that's fine. But you'll see a list of people think about like, um, you know, like uh, an Excel table and there'll be people down the left hand side of the column. And on the right hand side, um, I have each column that says like actively engaged or early adopter, engaged early majority, um, disengaged or late majority, you know, actively disengaged or laggards. And I have them like list out, like, where do you think someone's falling on this? And it's kind of a pulse check, you know, because you're beginning to see who's on your team and where you believe they are. Now on the far right corner, what I usually ask them to do is if it's a change, I ask them two questions. Why do you think that they are where they are? Like what evidence do you have? And then two, what do you think they stand to lose? Whether it's real or perceived from their perspective with this change. So it might be that where they stand to... You know, you might think like, oh, I think that they're actually engaged with the change, but what do they stand to lose potentially? Well, you know, we're going to start having people show up for, um, you know, a uh A quick check-in at 9 a.m. and so they might stand to lose um, having to actually like a sense of freedom a a loss of freedom because you know they didn't have that before maybe they have to move somewhere else maybe they have to get used to a technology to log into something maybe they have to start working with somebody that didn't want to work before maybe they have to learn a brand new um, you know template or tool whatever that is it creates a sense of loss of power Um, because there's change along with it and the loss might be a loss of safety familiarity comfort mastery loss of routine, whatever that is, it's still loss. The early adopters don't really care. They're going to deal with that loss, you know, pretty easily. But the late majority, the, the even the early majority, like that can feel like a big deal. So you want to keep your eye on that. So when I have people do that, it's really cool. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. It's a really quick exercise to begin to answer the question when there's a change coming up. Where do people lie? What do they stand to lose, either real or perceived, so that I can keep my eye on that? So then now I can have conversations with people around how are they feeling with uh, the potential loss? Did I get that right? Is there anything else? And then what would they need to make that move forward? Okay, now two, the other thing to understand about this is that, you know, I talked about roughly, you know, 15% are gonna be early adopters. This is the group that you're gonna focus on creating evidence with, with the proposed change. That's the whole point. You want to know who they are because they're the ones that are going to create the evidence and show and learn with you like what works, what doesn't work, what needs to be refined, um, what kinds of support is going to be needed for the rest of the group to be able to spread the adoption. Uh, And their job, quite frankly, is to help influence the early majority. That's their job. Your job is to convene them Your job is to target them, your job is to address some of their pains, and then your job is to make sure that they're getting engaged so they can go first, so they can be a part of creating evidence. You don't want to try to convince people about a change, you want to create the evidence that allows them to move forward, okay? Now your majority, again this is about 70%, these folks will not volunteer to initiate the change, but they will be open to taking risk if they are shown proof that it's going to benefit them. You know, so I think that's really important to understand. Um, You might want to include some of these folks in with the early adopters, um, the ones who you think are more trending towards maybe early adoption and um, And have them begin to buddy up or begin to like vocalize what some of the experiences were with the change like here 's what we tried here 's what 's worked here 's what needs to be refined here 's what needs to be thought about here 's how it felt for me uh, because they 're the ones that are providing both the emotional credibility but also the hard data evidence of like the success for the change or why we're not moving forward yet but this is what we're going to try next like that's that's their role the early majority okay is to bring them in and they're going to get brought along they're Quite frankly, their job is they're going to ask questions because they want to know whether or not um, how the change is going to benefit them, what's been thought about. The late majority is going to have questions about, like, why, what's going to make this time different than last time. They're going to know what kind of support is in place. Um, and it's not because they're, like, you know, annoying. It's not because they are critical. It's not because they are um, that way. It's because that's how they deal with change. It's it's a stress and it's a risk. And so your job is simply to manage that risk, right? The laggards, that's a different story. I mean, they're not happy with the organization. They might not be happy with their work. They don't want change. And so they're highly skeptical of it. Um, they might not be super happy, but they understand their world. And things already work for them. They're suspicious that, you know, if. If you're up to something when you're creating change. And so, when, um, you know, they're going to kick and scream when, you, when they do go along with change, I guess that's the point. Um, they need a ton of hand holding for sure. But your, your job here isn't to convince them. I think that's what's really important about understanding the adoption curve and understanding the engagement curve. You're going to spend way too much energy trying to convince them when that's not your job. Your job is to move, your job is to engage the early adopters. or the actively engaged? Your job is to bring along some of those engaged to the early majority. And the early majority's job is now to support and help train the late majority. And then now you've got, you know, about 85 to 90% of your group. That group is going to surround the laggards with this is the change. Now, here's the deal. Um... Your job is to do the very same things you did with the others, is to understand what they need to be able to move forward with the change, to provide them the supports. But your job, especially when you've got an actively disengaged person, especially when you've got a laggard, is to set a high expectation. And what I mean by that is, and let me make that actually, let me rephrase that. Your job is to set a very clear and explicit expectation, okay? Your job isn't supposed to be nice. You've done the important work of sharing about the change, testing the change, providing support around the change, providing the empathy to understand what they need with the change, assuming that you've done all those things. Your job now is to make sure that the expectations are very clear. This is how you're going to need to perform in the next two weeks this is what you're going to need to learn in the next month this is how you're going to begin to be doing things differently over the next six weeks now that you've learned those things this is what you can expect from me i will be here to check in with you three times a week to make sure that things are moving forward because i know that that this change is important and i know that you've shared with me what's difficult about this or if i can't be there here's who's going to come help you and you're finding like Rick from the early adopters or Jane who's an early majority, okay? You're still investing some resource into this group, but the reason that you want to set the clear and explicit expectations is because if they are not able to come along, you need to be able to set yourself up to let them know that this is not okay because here's the deal. Your job isn't to spend a whole bunch of time convincing, you know, um, Annie... Annie disengaged over here that she needs to come along. Your job is to provide the the important care of um, understanding what her obstacles are. Your job is to make sure that you've set up all of the necessary um, structural pieces for change to occur. And then your job is to show how much you care for the rest of the group by ensuring that Annie moves forward. Because when Annie can't move forward and Annie becomes disgruntled and Annie starts to gossip and Annie starts to undermine then that's not so much, um, how do I put this? She is beginning to hurt the rest of your group. That's harm for the rest of your group. And I wouldn't say, oh, you know what? I'm just going to start with and set clear and explicit expectations. Your job is to do everything else. Your job is to engage the rest of that group. Your job is to allow that group to surround that person with where there is that the, you're going and let them do the work with you and for you. Your job is to make sure that in the background, you have set up the clear expectations so that it, if you know she's not or he's not able to move forward, that um, you've done your due diligence not to set them up to fail or to be punitive but to help them understand that why that accountability is so important for not only their success, but for everyone else's. Assuming you've done your job to provide the right structures for the change. Got it? So I'd want you to consider all that. I want you to try it. It's a really cool tool. Um, you know, what I just laid out is more context for how you might engage with change, but I, I I love it because you just start to see visually like gosh, I've got like four people here who are super actively engaged, um, and another five that are engaged. This is my group. I'm going to give them a lot more resource than anybody else. Um, I'm going to ask them to engage with Annie over there on the right. Um, I'm going to ask them to test some stuff out. I'm going to ask them to think about what works, what needs to be refined. I'm going to ask them, um, you know, to provide and help with some training. I'm going to figure out who's disengaged or who's a late majority and what do they really need to move forward? Um, how am I going to leverage, you know, my, my change group? So that's really what you're doing. Um, if there is no change, then you're doing the very exact same thing and trying to figure out where where people's engagement is. And instead of asking what they stand to lose, you're taking a look and you're answering the question, why is it that they're there? And you're answering that question from the perspective, is it that they have um, high passion and low commitment to the org, or do they have low passion, um, and low commitment or, or low passion? You will almost never find low passion, high commitment. Cause that's just weird. <laughs> um, but that, that's really useful because then you can start having conversations like, wow, I feel like my key, my team isn't where they need to be right now. What do I need to do to kindle the passion for certain people? Um, cause usually people who have passion want to have more ownership. They want to have more, um, uh, take more initiative They want to be able to um, feel more recognized. They want to have more responsibility. They want to take some more leadership. Um, So those are the things that you need to think about when you're thinking about passion is how do I make sure that I'm creating the opportunity for people to have their passion fed? If it's a low commitment to organization, it's usually something different. Like, do they not have access to me? Is the direction really um, unclear and fuzzy? Are the processes really poor here? And we need to work on some key processes. Like we might not fix all of them, but what are like the one to two key things that would make a difference for folks? Um, If it's not process, it's usually tools. I don't have what I need to, to do my best work. So what's missing? What's the resource that's missing? So it gives you a chance to start asking those two sets of questions and begin providing that with your team because the mistake we make is we don't see how the team is operating in terms of their engagement. Um, We just kind of have it in our heads through experience. And then we don't make the distinction between high passion and commitment to organization. And then we're just kind of irritated that people aren't going along with stuff. And we have to allow for people to experience change. And we have to allow... For people to um, be who they are and and this reference this change curve this engagement curve helps you understand like where people tend to operate so that you can either think good and well about how to help them move around the change Um, it helps you understand where you live too um, because if you're not feeling up then you can't bring other people up Um, but it also helps you understand like how to begin to you know address their engagement. And it's it's fascinating. I The last thing I'll say around this is um, if you want to share this with your team, do so with a lot of care and love. I don't usually share this with my team. This is like for me to just take an inventory and see where folks are at so that I can be thinking well as a leader um, to support them. So um, just some food for thought. Okay, that's my thought revolution for the day. That's the thought is how do you begin to no, and it's not even how-to. I gave you a how-to, but my thought for the day is make the engagement, make the change visible for yourself so that you can be really thoughtful about the kinds of action you're going to engage in, right? Um, high passion, high commitment to, to change. Um, what, what are people losing? Those are the kinds of things you want to be focusing on um, and really be thoughtful about, you know, can I see where folks are at at any given time um, with a quick just, Pulse check and and where can I be spending you know the right amount of energy because again the thought revolution here is you don't have a lot of time to do everything so what are the key actions what are the twenty percent of actions I can take to create eighty percent of the result eighty percent of the connection with my team to the change to their team to the organization to me like that's what this is all about all right love it thank you guys so much I hope you download it download the tool um try it out. Email or DM me. Let me know what you think, and um, I'll catch up with you guys next week.